So a little prayer to begin. Cause me to have all the honesty, open-mindedness, willingness I may need here and now. I ask for the guidance, love and wisdom that I need to work through this process and gain the most I can at this time. I am as willing as I can be to set aside everything I even think I know about this area, this way of life, so that my chances for an open mind and to be teachable are better, so that I may realize your three spiritual gifts, awakening to you, to be the love I am and to be the individual you created me as. Thank you. So uh, we're on I think bottom of 68, uh, we're gonna be looking at page 68 to page 71 of the big book. The passages in blue on the screen are from the book and then there are notes, my own notes below. Um, the notes below have no authority. If they help you, they're marvelous. If they don't, then that's all right too. There's more than one way of looking at everything. Now about sex, many of us needed an overhauling there. But above all, we try to be sensible on this question. It's so easy to get way off the track. Here we find human opinions running to extremes, absurd extremes perhaps. One set of voices cry that sex is a lust of our lower nature, a base necessity of procreation. Then we have the voices who cry for sex and more sex, who bewail the institution of marriage, who think that most of the troubles of the race are traceable to sex causes. They think we do not have enough of it, or that it isn't the right kind. They see its significance everywhere. One school would allow man no flavour for his fare and the other would have us all on a straight pepper diet. We want to stay out of this controversy. We do not want to be the arbiter of anyone's sex conduct. We all have sex problems. We'd hardly be human if we didn't. Uh, what can we do about them? Um, if you go to a lot of meetings, uh, I don't know about you, but I've heard a lot of opinions about sex and romance and love, as people call it, and relationships. Um, and I think Bill here is writing from his experience of other people in AA and saying, um, we don't want to be arbiters. He's saying that because we have a tendency to be. You can find out a lot about uh, AA or indeed any organization from looking at what is counseled against or prohibited. Uh, if you go to an AA clubhouse in the South Central or South Texas, for instance, there'll be signs on the door or by the door saying no handguns allowed in the clubhouse. Now here in, in London, in the church hall of St. Agatha's, there is no sign saying, you know, please leave your handguns outside because no one's ever tried to bring one in. So the reason, the reason we're being counseled against being arbiters of people's sex conducts or advocating extreme um, approaches is because that's exactly what we have a tendency to do. Um, there is an extreme view on another matter where people say there is no morality in AA. I think there is a morality. There, there clearly is morality in AA. But the question is, how do you get to what is moral? Uh, how do you get to what is right? And the question that a lot of people have asked me is when you tell them what you're doing, when you tell them what you're up to, when you tell them what you're thinking, how's that working out for you? 
That's a useful question. Not what's right, what's wrong, what's moral, what's immoral. How's it working out? Is it improving your relationships with others? Is it damaging your relationships with others? Is it bringing you closer to people? Is it separating you from people? Is it bringing about um, health, happiness, harmony, love, joy, peace and connection? Or is it separating you into a shameful corner? But I think those are the useful questions here. And from that you derive uh, what's right and wrong. We reviewed our own conduct, uh, no, conduct. So the resentment inventory is all about internal states and what triggers them. Uh, the fear inventory, likewise. And the, the page 67 questions go some way into looking at conduct, but they look at internal states as well, beliefs and thinking. But this is conduct. We don't care what you what you think anymore <laughs> or what you're feeling. We, we, we care in this inventory about how you've been acting. Where had we been selfish, dishonest or inconsiderate? Whom had we hurt? Did we unjustifiably arouse jealousy, suspicion or bitterness? Where were we at fault? What should we have done instead? We got this all down on paper and looked at it. In this way, we tried to shape a sane and sound ideal for our future sex life. We subjected each relation to this test. Was it selfish or not? We asked God to mold our ideals and help us to live up to them. We remembered always that our God, our sex powers were God given and therefore good, neither to be used lightly or selfishly, nor to, nor to be despised or loathed. So the actual inventory, the, the, the instructions are very, very brief here. We reviewed our conduct over the years past. So this is not just looking at today, it's looking at world, the whole history. Um, and the question is, in, in what domain? Well, we're looking at the domain of sex and I, I think it's helpful. I found it helpful to look not just at those with whom one has had some kind of intimate the relationship or liaison let's just <laughs> refer to it as a liaison um so beyond the people you've had actual sexual interaction with anyone who there's been any romantic or sexual advance or tension or energy because a lot of people behave differently with those to whom they're attracted or who are attracted to them the, the behavior can become distorted so you get a, a full picture by um, uh, looking at this in the round, looking at all possible angles. Uh, but to stop it being a, an endless exercise, uh, what one can certainly do is group people. If there is the same, essentially the same event, the same interaction with a couple of dozen people or a whole category of people, then look at that category of people and give some examples as with everything else in inventory there's no need to repeat yourself in fact you don't get points for the number of words that you write um, you don't get any you don't score anything for repetition uh, and certainly um, sometimes people will have a problem with a whole sex so they'll they'll behave differently towards men than they do towards women. 
Um, and that can be related here. And the questions are very straightforward. Uh, selfish, dishonest, or inconsiderate. Um, so selfishness is where I'm putting my interests above yours. Dishonesty is when I'm telling an outright lie, when I'm concealing something I should reveal. Just because something is a secret does not mean that the right thing is to tell everyone the whole time. So dishonesty is about concealing that which should and must be revealed. Um, distortion of the truth or trickery, scheming. Uh, inconsiderate is where it, it's, it's not very different to selfishness, but here I'm looking at the interests of others I failed to take into account. Whom would we hurt? It could be the person, it could be someone beyond them. There's often a chain of destruction. Did we unjustifiably arouse jealousy, suspicion or bitterness? I think it's an interesting question, this. It's unjustifiably. Sometimes people arouse jealousy through absolutely no fault of their own. Uh, I've known people who go to a meeting and they get home and their other half is convinced they've been at it with someone at the meeting and all they've done is gone to a meeting there is nothing untoward happening so we're looking at where where one is unjustifiably arousing jealousy suspicion or bitterness where were we at fault what should we have done instead so these are very uh basic questions and then it talks about in this way we try to shape a sane and sound ideal for our future sex life we subjected each relation to, to this test was it selfish or not we asked god to mold our ideals and help us to live up to them there's a very good american aa speaker who died a few years ago quite a few years ago now called don pritz don p from aurora colorado and when his sponsees would phone up with relationship problems one of his answers would be i don't know how to have a healthy sick relationship if the relationship is built on the wrong foundation i.e selfish one it's very very difficult to make it work um uh i've had two types of relationship in my life i've had relationships which couldn't have been fixed by a team of experts and relationships which required very little work, very little nudging, very little, just some, you know, some work on oneself. Uh, looking back, there is no way I, I could have, other people have different experiences, but there is no way I could have converted the sick relationships into healthy ones because I was in them to get, not to give. I was in them to mend my wounded self-esteem by making by finding someone who would treat me as special uh, who would express to me the idea i was special i would give myself to them um in return for them giving themselves to me but because i thought there was something fundamentally wrong with me in giving myself to them whom I thought special. Um, I always knew at some level, level I was giving them a dud deal that I was up on the transaction. So I always felt guilty and fraudulent. Feeling guilty and fraudulent is not the most comfortable feeling. So 
uh, you know, one represses it and anything you repress gets projected out. And then you start to see all the faults in the other person. And six weeks later, uh, you want to be out of the relationship. Um, and you don't know what went wrong. Or maybe it's two years later. Sometimes sex can perpetuate these for a lot longer. And nothing had changed over those six weeks, but it was exactly the same pattern again and again and again. Um, this flush of excitement followed by an increasingly insistent bitterness and having to conceal the contempt one had for the other person. Because of course, if they fell for the deal of exchanging themselves for you, they were obviously a dummy. So they weren't special enough to trade oneself in for anyway. I'm very complicated this, um, but it's a pattern that repeated through my life. It's a pattern that repeated through other people's lives that I've known very closely. And that's to me, that's what it means when it talks about a sick relationship. It's a relationship where I'm trying to uh, use the other person to um, to plug the holes in the sieve. And so the alternative is very simply to, uh, if you're whole yourself or reasonably whole, uh, you've got something to, to bring to the table. In the 12 and 12, 12 steps and 12 traditions, in the step 12 reading, it's terribly good. It talks, I think, I think this is, must be in step 12. It talks about when boy meets girl, doesn't have to be boy girl, but when boy meets girl on AA campus, there's a whole section on it and it talks about mental and physical and spiritual compatibility. And, to, and it talks about making sure that there are no deep seated psychological handicaps, which are going to rise up and cause problems in the relationship later on. Uh, when I was new, people would say, don't have a relationship in the first year of recovery. Uh, I don't tell people that. What I suggest is, because it was true for me, don't have, don't try and have a relationship. If you're already in a relationship, it's a different question, but don't start a relationship um, if until you've completed the ninth step, because until then, you're just going to roll up all of the old unresolved problems and manifest them in the current relationship. Until you change, you're just going to repeat the same thing. Um, so this sex, sane and sound sex ideal, to me, it has to start from the point of view of being okay with myself and okay with others and okay with God and okay on my own. If I'm not okay on my own, I'm bringing a deficit to the relationship. If I'm okay on my own, I'm bringing an abundance to the relationship. It's a completely different basis. Um, there was a, a speaker I heard once, Mexican-American called Cahuenga. There's only one tape I've ever found of hers. I guess she would have got sober in the 1980s. And she says, if you want it, you can't have it. If you don't want it, you can have it. And I think there's a lot of huge amount of wisdom in that. I think it's wonderful. Um, so 
let's just have a look at that. I think I've covered most of these notes. The same sound ideal. Uh, so what, what does it actually look like? People do this very, very differently. Um, and it depends very much whether you're single and looking to date, whether you're currently dating someone or whether you're in a marriage, whether you've been in a marriage for 18 minutes or 18 years. The sane and sound ideal is going to look very different. To me, the sane and sound ideal is a set of, of objectives in the relationship for what I should believe, what I should think and what I should do. And it's based on what I'm currently believing and currently thinking and currently doing. So it, it, it presents to me the journey from where I am now to where I believe the higher power would want me to be. So it's going to look different for everyone because there are some things that, you know, there are things which some people, person A is great at, person B is ter terrible at and vice versa. There's no point in having things on the ideal you're already getting right and doing well. So it's really um, a set of objectives to correct the things which are currently wrong. Because that's the case, it's going to be dynamic, it's going to change over time because you're going to get the hang of some things and new problems are going to arise. What's so interesting here, it says whatever our ideal turns out to be, we must be willing to grow toward it. We must be willing to make amends where we've done harm, provided that we do not bring about still more harm in doing so. In other words, we treat sex as we would any other problem. Now, the book's a little bit naughty here because it hasn't told us how to handle problems. Uh, it's saying it's it's presuming that it's already told us how to handle problems. And now it's saying, oh, here's another example of how. Let's look at sex. It's actually the other way around. In teaching us how to handle the area of sex, it's actually teaching us how to handle any other problem. So with any problem, this is what I'm looking at. I'm looking at, first of all, doing some inventory to find out where my beliefs, my thinking, and in particular, my behavior is wrong. Devising a sane and sound ideal. Another phrase which is used is a vision of God's will. It's from page 85. In the 12 and 12, it also talks in step 11 about if an architect is going to build a building, he needs a picture in his mind of the building before he builds it. And this is all about the same thing. It's about invoking the higher power to provide a roadmap for what I'm going to believe, what I'm going to think, what I'm going to do. And then all I need to do is the actions of the day which are in front of me. And if I don't know, I ask God. And very simple, in meditation, we ask God what we should do about each specific matter. So worry and fretting and obsessing and constantly thinking about, uh, that's not the program. The program is asking God what we should do. And either an answer comes or it doesn't come. If it doesn't come, go away, go and do the washing up, go and do the laundry, come back and ask again. Uh, the right answer will come if we want it. It's one of the promises. Um, what else? Yes, yeah, so this notion of growing towards it, 
so I'm expanding the discussion beyond the domain of sex specifically and looking at any area uh, is what we claim is, is spiritual progress, not spiritual perfection. You have perfection as the ideal towards which you're willing to grow. And it is having the ideal of perfection which enables growth. But uh, any credit for the growth goes to God. If growth doesn't happen, it's because one didn't have the knowledge of God's will or one didn't have the power to carry that out. So any deficit there, one must simply go to God. So, I mean, sometimes we were blocking, sometimes I block myself by, I, I wake up in charge of the universe every morning. Um, sometimes it takes me a while to realize that's what's going on. Have you ever woken up right about something? I wake up right about everything every morning. This will block you from the higher power, just FYI. Um, I ask myself what I think about something. I tell myself what I think about something. And then I say, quite right. Uh, this is playing God. I shouldn't do that. I should ask God, what do you think about this? I'll get a different answer. Anyway, we have the ideal of perfection. We're willing to grow towards it. There's no point in beating ourselves up. That doesn't help um, because guilt and shame increase the sense of separation from God and increase self-reliance. So anything that goes wrong, you surrender that up to the higher power immediately. And, and Brother Lawrence was very good on this. He was a bit cheeky, really. He said, if, I'm, if I've made a mistake, if I've got it wrong, if I have failed to demonstrate some virtue, if I've practiced some vice, it's because you, God, haven't given me the strength to do otherwise. If you want me to do otherwise, you're going to have to give me the strength. See you later. It's brilliant. Um, God alone can judge our sex situation. Maybe you want to put that up on a banner in your home group just an idea. God alone can judge our sex situation. Counsel with persons is often desirable, but we let God be the final judge. We realize that some, you see, final judgment is not about reward and condemnation. It's about sorting out the true from the false, um, sorting out reality from illusions. That's the final judgment. We realize that some people are as fanatical about sex as others are loose. We avoid hysterical thinking or advice. That's just good advice itself, I find. Um, someone who is hysterical with me is emotionally involved in the situation. Uh, if I get emotionally involved in the situation, my thinking and advice become hysterical. Um, and I cease to be of use. I've got to rise above the problem to be of any help. Uh, what else do we have? Suppose we fall short of the chosen ideal and stumble. Does this mean we're going to get drunk? Some people tell us so, but it is only a half truth. It depends on us and on our motives. If we're sorry for what we have done and have the honest desire to let God take us to better things, we believe we will be forgiven and will have learned our lesson. If we're not sorry and 
our conduct continues to harm others, we're quite sure to drink. We're not theorizing. These are facts out of our experience. Re-stumbling. Um, a lot of people, I've been a repeated stumbler in all sorts of ways, not just in this domain, but in other domains as well. Um, and what matters is the sincerity of my realization I've done something wrong, even if it's for the 50th time. The problem comes when I justify it and incorporate the bad behavior as, oh, well, I'm just gonna keep on doing it, it's fine. Um, that's what opens me up to what Chuck C calls obsessions of the mind and other, um, basically risk of drinking and other behaviors. Um, to sum up about sex, we earnestly pray for the right ideal, for guidance in each questionable situation. Uh, Don Pritz would say, how do you know if a situation is questionable? Well, I know a situation is questionable if I'm involved in it. Um, then it's questionable. Uh, so we pray for sanity and for the strength to do the right thing. We don't pray for relief or for the temptation to go away we pray for strength to do the right thing now this is useful uh, with any kind of acting out if you wait if you want god to remove the impulse to act out you're going to be waiting a long time if you pray for the strength to do the right thing even though the impulse is there you'll get the strength if sex is very troublesome if any obsession is very troublesome we throw ourselves the harder into helping others. We think of their needs and work for them. Footnote for the Alanons, uh, bearing in mind, we must only do for others what they, what we, what we must do for others because they cannot do it for themselves. So this has to be tempered by the instructions in the detachment sheet, which boundary uh, which make it basically help us make a distinction between good helping and bad helping. Um, so stuff which is genuinely of service versus fixed change control, which is the wrong type of helping. This takes us out of ourselves. It quiets the imperious urge when to yield would mean heartache. Um, so I'm not going to read the last bit because we've got some... Um, lots of people to share. So that's really all I've got. There are lots and lots of extra notes to read in what I imagine to be your copious free time. Um, so I'm gonna invite people to share on this now. Um, Osho, would you like to come in? Hi everyone, I'm Osho, I'm a member of Al-Anon. Thank you so much, Tim. Um, so my first sex inventory, I didn't have anyone written down because I thought that I was as white as snow. Um, I really, it was, it was a fourth step that I did that I really didn't understand the purpose of the fourth step and didn't understand looking at myself. I thought it was all about what everyone else had done to me and that's why I had resentment years and so on. And so I really didn't get this part. Um, my second, four step, I already had people on it. And my most recent one, um, as Tim said, it was suggested to me to list anyone, um, you know, whom I had sexual attention with and so on. And so 
it was a much more thorough inventory this time around. Um, when I do this inventory, I tend to make a table. Um, I list the person's name and I list all of the questions across the top. And then I answer the question with regard to each person. And that's been very helpful to me to see a lot of patterns um, and how I'm doing the same thing over and over again in, in various relationships and even in fantasized relationships and relationships that really only exist in my head. Um, and finally, I want to share that I, I really love my sane and sound ideal for uh, that came out of the sex inventory. I read it daily. I find it extremely helpful. Um, I will say, because I've heard this from other people in program, um, that for me, the sex inventory is not about whom I'm seeking in my sexual and romantic relationships, but who do I want to be when I'm relating to others in these types of relationships. And um, actually, my, my um, sane and sound ideal for sex relationships has become my sane and sound ideal in relationships in general of how to relate to other people. And, um, and so it, it's become something that really um, I look to um, in, in, in my interactions overall. Thanks. Thank you. Uh, Emma, would you like to share? Uh, um, thanks for that. Uh, thank you for explaining it so clearly. Tim, hi, my name is Emma. I'm a grateful member of Essanon. This is really tough for me. Um, I am incredibly uncomfortable um, and I'm doing this because I sat with it and I decided that this is this is something that I feel um, God would have me do. I'm trying to do God's will here. So I need to remember something very important um, about this sex inventory, that it's my own conduct. And I should think I should stress that, maybe underline it. It's my own conduct. Nobody else's. Um, um, as I did this, as I did with other areas, I put it down on paper. I did what was asked of me. I wrote down the questions. I answered them as best and as honestly as I could with a lot of prayer on my lips. The things I needed to remember was that one, God alone can judge the sex situation, only he, only him. And two, to remember that always that our sex powers were, were God given and therefore good. These two things were very, very important to me. And actually, I had them written at the top of my sex ideal every day when I did them. Um, and it was it was an experience that I'm very grateful for and very grateful for my sponsor's guidance through it. Um, I had an interesting experience of sharing it with two other people, and that gave me a lot of clarity, too. Um, they were very honest and open with me. And I think that helped me to be probably the first time in my life honest and open with this area. So the sane and sound ideal, um, that again was done with an awful lot of prayer on my lips. Um, that prayer mold our ideal, um, mold our ideals and help us to live up to them. I found that so incredibly helpful. Um, I did an exercise I was told by one of these people I shared with of a mind map and to put the person I wanted, I had in the middle and to put off all the things that I, I wanted to bring to the relationship, not them me i wanted to be mrs right not for them to be mr perfect or whoever it was because i did this with lots of different close relationships um some things were really weird because i would i would say one thing on one with one person and then completely the opposite with another and i thought gosh that's really strange but i realized no it's not because with one person i needed to be more um more giving and more loving and with another person i needed to 
step away and that was loving and tolerant in that relationship I felt a bit like a child doing this this was all new experiences new learning um, again I'm very grateful I have lots of people in my life that I'm willing to be guided by um, have counsel from um, it was between me and God I didn't I didn't need to be told what to do but I did need counsel and I did need to have people who had these uh, good relationships that I see and they the way they speak and the way they speak to their spouses the way they speak to their parents how I hear them that's what I wanted in my life so I'm willing to go to people who have the recovery and to ask for that because I think that's of huge value um, I think one of the other things that spring to mind here is motive um, I have to be honest with my motives in all these relationships I have to ask myself what am I what am I really bringing here what do I really want here? What am I doing with this? Uh, to be truthful and honest and not to pretend because I'm very good at pretending that everything's perfect and peachy. Um, so um, I think for me, um, one of the keys of this ideal was if at first I don't succeed, try, try again. It's okay to get it wrong. Um, I try my hardest to do what God wants for me. Um, and I think with that, that, that sentence of being forgiven, that I just have to keep trying, that I just have to be there, be present, willing to do his will. Um, I don't have to get it right. And I'm very grateful for that because if I had to live up to that perfection, I don't think I'd even start. I'm the kind of person before who had to hit, hit it, you know, I had to be number one. And the fact that I'm given kind of permission that it's okay if I don't get it right, but to aim for it. You know, they say if you aim for the stars, you you, you might make it to the moon. Uh, but if you aim nowhere, you end up with your your face in the mud. And I think that's for me was really something to hold on to. Um, what other thing that sprung up was this uh, answer to all my obsession to help others. It says in the read in the handout and in and in the way God wants me to, not my way. And it's a lesson for me to learn really. Um, Clancy said in one of his talks, stop, pause, ask God, that's it, that's it, that's all you have to do. Uh, and it brings to mind an analogy that I heard on a talk that if a tree is planted in my soil and my bark is, is painted with character defects and the leaves are resentment and fear and shame and guilt, it's not such a pretty tree. Um, it's a pretty ugly tree and it's mostly because of me. Um, well, all because of me, really. Uh, program says to plant the tree in God's soil and then the character defects won't be there. The leaves become beautiful with love and kindness and tolerance and patience and cooperation. And that's the point, really, to plant it in the new soil, God's soil. Um, go to God all the time. Ask God, what is your will for me? And I think for me, that is that is stop doing what I was doing. Um, plant myself deeply in his soil, ask for help, pray, um, look for the answers. If I don't come, like was said, go mop the floor, come back, try again. Then I get to change in the way he wants, doing his will. And my, tr my tree truly becomes beautiful, um, like he always really wanted it to be. Um, and that's big for me. Thank you for listening. Thank you. Ellie Sheva, would you like to share? Hi, my name's Ellie Sheva. I'm a member of SNR and Al-Anon. Uh, SNN is a 12-step fellowship for family and friends of sexaholics and anyone that's been affected by someone else's sexual behavior. When I first came to SNN and program, I, there were lots of things about myself that I was unaware of. 
But one of the few things that I was aware of is that I have issues with sex. I just didn't know what I was supposed to do with them. When I first started working the steps with the big book, I realized that I need to identify with the alcoholic problem in order to be able to say, if I do what they do, um, I'll get the same results that they did, a spiritual awakening. And I identified with the allergy and the mental obsession, and those two things led my life to be unmanageable. And I felt that I needed to do that, that same thing here. I needed to identify with the problem around sex so that I can say, if I do what they did, I'll also have a spiritual awakening here. And I found, I found myself on the spectrum that Bill speaks about here. It's a very, very wide spectrum. One set of voices cry that sex is a lust of our lower nature, a base necessity of procreation. And the other side, the voices who cry for sex and more sex. So it was very easy for me to find myself there. And I would assume that anyone can find themselves in the sentence, we all have problems with sex. So if you have any problem, any problem at all, this inventory can help. And I found that it did for me. Um, I thought my issues with sex were much bigger than any other issue I had and that I would need help beyond what the 12 steps could offer. And I found a lot of comfort in the sentence, we treat sex like we would any other problem because other problems of mine had been removed through working the steps as written in the big book. And that gave me hope that if I worked the inventory as written in the big book, I would be relieved, be relieved of this problem also. Um, my sponsor told me that when I'm answering the questions, I should look at the entire relationship in order to see how I show up in my most intimate relationships. And through answering the questions, I found that I am selfish, dishonest, and inconsiderate. And I recognized the behaviors that I wanted to stop doing, but if it's not clear to me what I do want to do instead, then I'm just going to go back to those same behaviors again. And so I needed a sane and sound ideal. I needed it to be very clear to me in order to know what, where I'm headed towards. Um, and for that, I needed to take the time for prayer and meditation. I needed to get counsel. One of the things that I was told to look for is where I can be giving rather than getting. Um, and I had come into my relationships feeling very entitled. I thought that the addicts take and take and I give and give and that um, they owe me. And one of my favorite Anne Lamott uh, quotes are, we think we're starved for what we are not getting. We are actually hungry for what we are not giving. And in the book, in the big book, it says, whatever our ideal is, we must be willing to grow towards it. So the ideal is like, it's like the top of the ladder. And I, I want to grow towards that. A lot of people work very efficiently to get to the top of the ladder only at the end of their lives to find that they put the ladder on the wrong side of the house. So in order to avoid that, I wanna start off knowing where the ideal is and then work efficiently to get there. Um, suppose we fall short and stumble. Well, if I were to write an ideal that I would never fall short of and never stumble, it would have to meet me where I am right now. And that would be really, really setting it low and where's the growth there. So I need, if I'm setting the ideal on the top of the ladder, then obviously I'm going to fall short at times and stumble. And that's why we have inventory. I can ask God to show me where my mistakes were, uh, what my corrective measures are, and work towards that. Um, the big book then gives us a format how to solve the problems with sex, which we can use for solving any problem. And it's the exact opposite of how I used to deal with problems. If I had a problem, then I thought I need to verify all the possible solutions. I need to get into action. I need to do, do, do. And here it says to pray for the right ideal. And so anytime I have something that I define as a problem, I need to turn to God and talk to him for guidance in each questionable situation, because I ideally would like to use every questionable situation as an opportunity to grow closer to my ideal. For sanity, and one of the definitions we gave of sanity is to know that I'm one with God. And when it's clear to me that I'm one with God, 
then I know that there's no problem. And when I know that there's no problem, my mind is quiet and I can hear God's guidance. I know intuitively what to do. And if nothing's coming, it means I don't need to do anything. And strength to do the right thing, because obviously on my own, I, I don't have that. Um, if sex is troublesome, uh, we throw ourselves more into helping others. So in the past, if I if something was troublesome, I would obsess about it and I'd go over it again and again and again. And I thought that if I keep on going over it, at some point, I'll, I'll find the solution and it's up to me. But when I obsess, I have the hamster on the wheel, my mind is constantly glowing and I don't hear God's guidance. And so I, I, need, I need to do the opposite. I need to pause and be quiet. And when I have a problem, I think I'm separate from God. I, I separate myself from people. When I have a problem, I think I'm different than them. I have this unique problem. And when I stop and I put the problem aside and I go and I serve and I see where I can be helpful to others, I become part of the group again. And um, then I can come back and look at the problem and it looks really very different. Sometimes the problem is it's gone. It's been solved without me doing anything. Sometimes I'll intuitively know what to do. And sometimes the problems, what I defined before and this, as the problem is there, but it just doesn't bother me anymore. Um, and I found that when I have a problem in a relationship, after I've written the ideal, then I can just go back up to the ideal and look at it. Either I've stopped keeping to the ideal or my, it's time for my ideal to grow. And one last thing about being the arbiter of other people's sex life. So ego's primary purpose is to make control, is to maintain control over me. And it does that by um, keeping, by trying to separate me from God. But since I'm spirit and I'm a part of God, wherever I go, God is, is with me. So ego actually can't separate me from God. All it can do is separate my thoughts from thinking about God by distracting me. And one of the ways it does is by criticizing and judging. And one of the things that I tend to criticize and judge people on is their um, sexual behavior. And so when I can put it in perspective, I know it's just another way of ego trying to distract me when I'm watching my mind and I see them judging people in this area. All I need to do is turn back to God, ask him to help me be in the here and now, and then gently and persistently bring my mind back to the here and now. I'll end it with that. Thank you. Nicole, would you like to share? Uh, my name is Nicole. I'm a member of uh, AA and Al-Anon and SLAA. Um, thank you um, <clears throat> for all the shares today. Um, yeah. Uh, because yesterday we um, went through the sex ideal and I think the only thing I really need to add is that, you know, I've done, I've written down the ideal um, and I refer back to it and it is about me, my behavior, less about the other person. Uh, it's beautiful when the other person reflects that back. Um, so <laughs> when I see that, then that's why I know I'm in, going in the right direction, I guess. Um but I think that that intuitive sense is really important. So I think going through the rest of the steps and um, putting somebody else before yourself by doing 12 step work really helps me get into presence, you know, because I need presence in order to hear the voice of God. I can write down all these things all I want, but it's really an experiential program where God's going to guide me. Um, and the best thing I know what to do is to sit in front of another woman, go through the steps uh, <clears throat> and then also when I'm sitting in front of a man, if I'm dating a guy or I'm working on the job, if I have an ideal about my career, something like that, you know, um, 
I can have that ideal in my mind, but I also have, you know, sitting in front of that person, I've got God, you know, that I can intuitively pick up on things and see where I'm at, where this relationship is going. I mean, I don't have to go on a second date if I'm feeling like a lot of resistance on the first one. You know, I used to be very, very compulsive. I would want <clears throat> the second date because, you know, I want what I want, you know, but I mean, this isn't about wasting time anymore. And, um, you know, and sometimes relationships are really about teaching and learning situations than they are about actual sex, you know. Um, so I've kind of kind of switched it over to seeing like, what's a spiritual lesson um, versus, you know, what I want to get out of this relationship, I guess, in the material sense, as far as security. Um, and, you know, giving versus getting as soon as I let God into the relationship, and I say I'm going to give versus get, then that's what I'm going to get, you know, and I'm going to get a reflection of that in my mind. If I'm sitting there with someone and all I'm thinking about is getting, it's because I want that, you know, it's not about the other person. So um, anyway, well, you know, I'm really grateful to have this uh, workshop to attend. And that's pretty much what I have today. So thanks. Thank you. Uh, Rich, would you like to share? Uh, hi, everyone. I'm Rich. Um, I'm an alcoholic, slur and a nun. And, um, yeah, thank you for everybody that shared. It's been really useful to start to see this program in different contexts, uh, from the element uh, context. And I've got so much from the last uh, uh, few weeks that we've been doing. Um, yeah, same and sex um, ideal for me. So I remember when I wrote my um, my um, ideal, and I, I wrote a list of characteristics um, of the, the person that I was looking for, and it's pointed out to me, no, Rich, you need to demonstrate these characteristics. <laughs> my jaw dropped, you know, it was I being asked to do more and more work. You know. And um, I started to understand that it was really demonstrating those characteristics into the outside, into the outside world, and, and it's like a magnet, those things would start to, um, you know, would, would start to come back to me. And it wasn't really about sex. It was more about relationships. You know, this inventory is not really about sex and concerned, as it says, with, uh, you know, what you're up to, um, whether you like being tickled or not. It's more about, um, you know, intimate relationships. And um, and it's the same with the ideal. One of the things that um, helped me also was to understand this, this, this word same kind of creeps in there. Nobody really kind of talks about that. And that was of interest to me. And um, it suggested to me by the, the, my sponsor that, um, you know, this has to be something that's achievable. It has to be something that is doable. It has to be something that, um, you know, I can, yes, I can work towards, but it's not out of reach. And it was also pointed out to me that this um, same uh, idea can change. You know, I can, I can evolve it and grow it. Um, and, um, and my relationships have have changed as a result of that. I mean, I see relationships completely different. Um, I like this thing that we shared this morning. Am I in a relationship to get or to give? Because I can forget that very, very quickly. That kind of just kind of goes to the back of my mind. And, um, you know, I think I need to kind of sit with myself today and go through my relationships. And um, because, you know, selfishness is the root for me, the root cause, and that can very, very slowly creep back into all of my relationships and all of my friendships and then things start to go wrong and I wonder why. So yeah, thanks for letting me share. Uh Risey, are you there? Hi, it's Risey. Um thanks everyone for your shares. Um Risey, I'm a great full member of SNN. Um I really appreciate everyone's shares and it came up a lot. Um for me I want to share that what I started to learn with this um sex inventory was 
um, communication was a very big one for me and honesty, um, seeing where I can move forward in my spiritual growth um, without letting the sex get me back because um, sex was a very big problem for me. Um, I didn't think it was my problem. I just wanted to blame everyone else and um, really what I wanted to when I started this program, I wanted to be more connected, joyous and less resentful and blaming. Um, just doing what my sponsor asked me to do and seeing my part in the relationship, um, realizing that I'm being dishonest and to say um, inconsiderate, I wasn't trying trying to manipulate the sex audit. Um, it was hard for me to see all that. Um, but seeing that I had a partner in Abeling or seeing that I wanted to, wanted to, or I didn't know where I finished and he begins was just something that set me into this journey of spiritual growth to see what I can do um, to make this to make my life more easier and just just really was nice to see that what I can write in my what I wrote in my sane and sound idea what where I can move forward what I want my life to be or what I want my relationship to be with my husband or with other people um, and to do it with my higher powers um, help praying just trusting the process taking actions um, came up for me healthy boundaries and um, and still taking care of my needs um, for me, it was just a lot just to be able to be honest, even talking to my sponsor a lot about this, because um, taking away that, that guilt and shame, um, to be honest to my sponsor was a big, big one. Like just to be, it, at least I knew like she didn't judge me for it and just to get through it. Um, and it really helped me to do the same and sound of you for other areas, like generally in my life, other relationships and marriage, finances and parenting. And it was helpful. And I still look, look look at it um usually every day thank you for listening thank you uh devore are you there yeah hi um i'm devore a grateful member of SN. thank you for all your shares um this was a tricky topic for me i remember when i got to this was my when i was doing the four steps um and i thought well this page yeah it's about sex i don't i don't have any sex problems i'm just surrounded by people who have sex problems and that's my problem and um, I I was working this through with my sponsor and start seeing it's not about everyone else's conduct. My inventory is my inventory and um, I won't really get anywhere or start growing until, you know, like with the resentments, I take my own inventory and not other people's. And to start reviewing my conduct was, um, was actually very uncomfortable for me in this area. Um, but I put down these questions on the page, selfish, dishonest, and inconsiderate. Um, whoever am I hurt? And did I unjustly arouse jealousy, suspicion, or bitterness? And I prayed. Um, and things came up, and there were things for me to look at. And I could see that um, my, the problems in my relationships were mainly my conduct and not anyone else's, which was, um, yeah, it was fascinating news for me the first time around. Um, and the writing ideals was actually an amazing experience for me. I suddenly saw how much that the relationships depend on me. And when I could put down how I wanted to be um, and then turn to God with that, there wasn't, um, I wasn't living with bitterness and resentment and, and, and 
frustration with other people and self-pity, victimization. I didn't feel like I was ever on the victim anymore, which was a very core character defect for me before this. Um, so my ideals, yeah, they're not where I am at the moment, but I, when I'm working with them and turning to God with them, I have, um, I, I know what, where I'm going, I know where I'm heading and I have goals and I have a way of getting there instead of thinking that, you know, my life's unmanageable and it's everyone else's fault. Um, I identified what was shared about turning to God and then um, letting go. I also used to think that if I have a problem, I need to obsess about it long enough and then I'll solve it on my own with my wonderful mind. Um, and when I'm obsessing and chewing and chewing something, um, there's no room for God to come in because I'm not open. I'm completely closed. Um, I'm not got any open minds. I'm not available for any new insights. I feel the insights all there. And when I have a problem and I can sit and pray and pause, which is like switching off all those hundreds of voices in my head, I I can get the answer straight away if God wants. And sometimes I do need to get up and do the laundry or go do something else and the answers will come when God wants me to have them and I think this is a very empowering part of the inventory for me I think there was a massive change a massive shift in my relationships I think that happened as soon as I started doing this work honestly and turning to God with my relationships um no it's not perfect straight away but that shift in perception was a wonderful gift for me and um I'm very grateful for it. Thank you for listening. Thank you. That's pretty much all we've got time for today. Have a look at the link I've posted to Earl Purdin and Anika Jawa, who are Course in Miracles teachers. And um, uh, Course in Miracles is not a religious text. It uses Christian idiom, but only because it was devised in a largely Christian country. It's Christians hate it. Uh, so, you know, you're kind of safe there. Um, there's, so there's no religious doctrine there. There are just ideas about how we relate to the higher power and how we relate to each other. Um, and so don't, don't be off put by the, the language appearing to come from one tradition or another because the ideas transcend that. Earl and Anna are exceptionally wise when it comes to relationships and the secret wires and springs um, behind relationships, particularly uh, these so-called special relationships, which are about um, ego entanglements with other people. Um, you know, the, the, the Hallmark channel is basically <laughs> a channel for films about special relationships. Western civilization is very interested and thinks they're very good. Anyway, that's just a, a little aside really. Um, uh, numbers have dropped but that's to be under uh, that's to be expected during step four particularly during this what can be a rather distasteful inventory. It's been lovely today but um, I've had some experiences over the years where people are recklessly honest rather than rigorously honest but anyway we've been spared that today. Uh, step five next week slightly safer territory so do spread the word. Uh, would you please help me close the session today, uh, unmuting if you care to, using the serenity prayer. God, 